actually turn this on, that always helps. Okay, um, well, anything uh, you learned over the weekend? I, on my part, I did learn uh, last night that the Lord has a sense of humor, a sense of irony. Uh, we uh, spoke in uh, chapel, actually, where I was a bishop, down in Duncanville last night to a, a single adult group and just had a great time and lots of uh, fond memories and, and good stuff and get home at uh, 9 o'clock last night and realized that I left my iPad there. <laughs> Uh, and and then so then had to contact one of the people that were there, some good friends of ours, and she actually went back to the chapel about quarter to ten at night, uh, to and found it still sitting on the podium, and then met us at a McDonald's uh, down in Redbird area uh, to retrieve that, so I could bring it back and have it. And and the and the uh, topic of my talk last night, follies. <laughs> oh. It's like the Lord has just smiled on the other side and said, gotcha. <laughs> okay, and anything else? Uh, anything else you guys learned this week? The Pope is resigning. Yeah, there's not a lot of ex-popes running around. There, there will be. Uh, they're not really saying why. He is ill. Yeah. He says he's too old and Okay. Yeah, there you go. He doesn't have counselors. Yeah. There he is. That's right. Otherwise, you had the first counselor just take over for him while he was struggling. That's a good point. Okay. Even Peter did. They just didn't realize that. So. Okay. Yeah. I have a question that I ask in gospel doctrine, and the teacher said, I don't know. Um, <laughs> We were talking about why Oliver Cowdery could not translate. Yeah. And she gave a list of things that we're to do when we pray that are expected of us before prayers can be answered, yeah. like to ponder it out, to study it. Right, 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 right. And I asked her, well, how, how could Oliver Cowdery have studied it out when he wanted to translate from a, a, a completely foreign language, people he never knew existed, I mean, how would the Lord expect him to study it out and ponder about it before he can give the translation? That yeah, uh, uh, you know, you talk about that, it's in uh, section uh, 9, uh, where you talk about you took no thought other than, you know, this is what you're going to do. The only clue that we have, Joseph is silent on this, on the whole uh, ish incident, and Oliver is silent on the whole incident. The only clue that we have as to what happened to Oliver is, is that you feared. The Lord says, you feared, therefore your gift was taken away. That there was something fearful for Oliver in the process of actually doing the translation work that somehow interfered in his ability to do that. Yeah, somewhere in there that fear got in the way. And it's one of those... When it's one of those millennial topics at firesides that I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, where we get to see the video of the Red Sea parting and, and uh, <laughs> Hilkamora and all that. It's the R-rated version because of the gore. But uh, that's one I would really like to know more about. So we don't know much about it. Yeah.
go with that one. <laughs> she, she, she said, she, she just said, when, when you take a kid's Xbox or his iPod away because he's not doing what he's supposed to do, you're following the Lord's example who took the ear of a thumb away from Joseph Smith. I like it a lot. <laughs> Plenty of sense to me. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he did. he did. He ended up losing the farm. Because the books didn't sell fast enough. They did sell. Martin was sure that they would never sell. They, they ended up selling out, obviously, the first edition. But, uh, yeah, he lost, he lost the farm. And the interesting thing is still a farm. I, in fact, in an earlier class, I had, a, I had a picture of Martin Harris's farm that's still a farm. Owned by somebody else. So... Okay, uh, that said, uh, we got, so let's get a little good dose of uh, history uh, today. That's some really interesting stuff. But I just wanted to pass along to you. I had a, uh, I have a 17-year-old uh, uh, client of mine, a uh, sweet little gal, and, and she just kind of popped out with a little comment in one of her journaling, and I stopped and I said, did you come up with that, or is that a quote from somewhere else? She said, no, I came up with that. And I said, that's pretty profound. So here, here's your quote for the day from a 17-year-old. The real test of goodness is not our ability to be perfect, but our willingness to repent. <coughs> well, that's not bad at all. Okay, and so she kind of, she's kind of getting it. Uh, little gal struggled with some perfectionism, and, and as she started to kind of understand... How things work, suddenly out of that comes this understanding that just says, I just need to be able to repent. And I said, you're getting the atonement, finally. Uh, if you can get it at 17, I wish I knew what you knew when I was 17. That's incredible. So, all right. <laughs> Little history lesson. Uh, so now we've got, if you'll, if you'll notice right down in there, you've got the Missouri River. Right in the bottom is Clay County. You have Liberty. Uh, the new temple is, is right in there, right between the river and Liberty. Uh, when the saints were driven out of Jackson County, um, they, they poured across the, the Missouri River and they landed uh, pretty close to Richmond in, in Ray County. Now, let me remind you again, uh, Sister Susan Easton Black... Um, who, by the way, is a new bride. I did not know this. Anybody knows Susan Easton Black? Uh, she's, she's a widow me. And she married a widower, President Devin Durant's dad. Uh, so, anyway, uh, and, uh, Susan Easton Black uh, talks about the fact that you need to always keep in mind that what happened in the settling of Missouri was settled by those primarily from the south. And they were coming from a slave culture. So as they poured in, they settled Missouri. They very much wanted it to be a slave state. But there was, a, there was that mentality, kind of the plantation mentality that they brought with them. As the saints poured across the Missouri uh, in October of 1833, they needed a place to land. Uh, the settlers in Ray County on, on the other side of the Missouri uh, took them in. 
But it was always with an idea as Southerners, here come these porpoise straggled Mormons, and, and, it, and, and we were kind of treated like free slaves. You know, you're welcome to come work in the house, work the land, uh, plant the crops, clear the property, all those kind of things. And so we so we will take you in as kind of a free slave kind of thing and take care of you, and that worked real well. Until we did what we do, which is we begin to prosper and work hard and look towards setting up our own stuff. And so we kind of started to grow above that. Uh, and this time, as we got ready to say, okay, where now are we going to settle? Because the, the Lord had said, stay, don't go back to Kirkland. So we're going to stay in Missouri. Where are we going to go? So what they do is they contacted the people of Ray County and also of, I don't know how well you can see that. Of Ray County and uh, Carroll County, especially, to say we'd like to set up land and, and buy things and get started and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we're trying to get your permission. Uh, the settlers said no. We saw what you did in Jackson County, uh, and no, you guys are too crazy. Um, and so they weren't quite sure exactly what they were going to do. And then the, the church's attorney. Joseph had contracted with Alexander Donovan to be our attorney, and he was also in the legislature. Uh, Alexander Donovan is going to step in and say, I have a proposal. Let's cut Ray County in half, and we'll, and we'll create a new county on the other side, of the north of Ray County, and we'll call it Caldwell County. And this will be specifically for the Mormons. What they did is they created the reservation. Kind of a Mormon reservation. You guys, the expectation is now you'll have a place to be. Uh, and really the expectation is that you'll stay on the reservation. And you won't expand beyond the reservation. Um, so, so there they were. So we, so we got Caldwell County and far west was the capital then of Caldwell County. The problem is, is that now, over time, what happens is that uh, missionary work is starting to bear fruit. Um, saints are now starting to leave Kirtland. And with the establishment of Far West, um, people are now starting to come. And now we have thousands and thousands of saints pouring into Caldwell County. Caldwell County couldn't hold that many people if you wanted a farm. If you're building a subdivision, you can get away with it. If you're building a farm... You need space. So we started to expand, and we especially started going north up into Davis County. And when Joseph, of course, goes up, comes out on a mission to visit Davis County, uh, he discovers a couple of things. One, he discovers Adam on Dion. By the way, this is, this is where Adam came after he was expelled from the Garden of Eden, and this was the land where Adam dwelt. And by the way, then they went up to Spring Hill, a little rise, and he said, dig here. And they start clearing away, and they found a stone, uh, some stones that had been piled that were kind of underneath the dirt, and they cleared it off, and he says, this is Adam's altar. There it is. It's at Spring Hill, which incidentally looked a lot like the pulpits they just built in Kirkland. So now... Every time we build a temple somewhere, is there a little, especially in Utah, 
people want to kind of live close to the temple? Sure. Well, that's what happened here. So, it, so now the word is out. Wait a minute. This is Adam on Dion. Is there anything special about Adam on Dion? Yeah, there's priesthood meeting going to be held in this valley. Um, which, incidentally, that's what uh, I'd put here. Adam on Dion. So, so here is the here's this lush land, and so now there's a kind of a land rush. Far west is getting fairly full, and everybody's wanting to go north to Davis County, but that means leaving the reservation. So we were we were leaving the reservation. Um, that filled up as did as did uh, Carroll County. If you go all the way out here, you can see Dewitt out on the extreme edge over here. Uh, that that held a, a lot of uh, saints as well. Uh, now, so the problem is going to be we we continue to pour into those areas, and now the old settlers start pushing back as we're going. Especially, can you imagine the conversations uh, in Gallatin, for instance, up in Davis County? There are more more Mormons coming here. Why is that? Well, this is where Adam was. Really? Yeah. Oh, we're all coming back here. There'll be a big priesthood meeting here one day. Yeah, my farm's out there. Too bad to be you. Because <laughs> we're coming. This is our land. You know, a smart politician would have said, Great, let's get the Mormons on my side. I always vote. <laughs> and then, you know what? That's exactly what happens. Thank you, Mom. So, what happens is the idea is going to be that a smart politician would uh, try and enlist all of these. That would work if you guys are going to vote for me. Except for the fact that the Whig, the Whig candidate, found out all the Mormons were going to vote against him. So now it's on. So now that now all of the, the animosity starts to build and you start to have all the resentment and the fear that the Mormons are pouring in. And in fact, they're not going to vote for the Whig candidate. They're more likely to vote for their own candidate. So they got called, well, now they're going to get here. Now they're, the Mormons are out of control. Okay? All right. So that said, let's now kind of continue this on. So so now what happens, the saints begin pouring out of Kirtland. They're on their way all the way over here uh, to begin to fill this part of Missouri. Now, uh, again, more history. Because I, I just think the historical context on this is what makes all this period critical to us. Remember, Joseph Smith will uh, will have to leave Kirtland in uh, January of 1838. He has to leave in the middle of the night. Uh, mobs are building. Anti-Mormon fervor is high, especially among the former saints who have now taken over the temple, uh, who are part of the Kirtland Safety Society Bank. Joseph and Hiram uh, and Sidney have to kind of sneak out in the dark and meet the families downstream where they gather them together. There is a long stretch. It takes Joseph and Emma and their little family, because they had to break up a little bit. It takes Joseph two months to make it from Kirtland to uh, Missouri. And, and they are destitute, and they are poor, and Kirtland doesn't know where they are, and Missouri doesn't know where they are. 
Um, we have a couple of little vignettes in that period of time. At one point, uh, Joseph will stop at a tavern, he and the family, to try and find an inn to stay the night. The, the innkeeper uh, finds out that they are Mormon. He says, no, uh, no Mormons staying in my place tonight. Joseph said, uh, you will let us in or I will burn the place down. Okay, you can stay the night. <laughs> Some idea of just how desperate he was with his, fam his little family exposed to the elements and they got nowhere else to go. I would burn the place to the ground. Uh, there's another point at which Joseph will kind of go to some of the local farms and they're coming across Indiana. He's out of, he's out of money, he's out of food, uh, and he will offer to cut firewood for uh, the local settlers to earn just enough money to keep on going. This is a little family dragging and straggling across Indiana, Illinois, and Missouri to, to get out of there, and nobody knows where they are. Okay. Just gives you an idea of, of kind of the absolute destitutiveness. At one point, at, at, there's a long stretch where they're alone. At another point, they will actually they will find Sidney Rigdon close to as they're closer into Missouri, closer to far west. But most of the journey, they're long. And uh, the only other time I can picture this one is when, it, and we'll talk about it a little bit more next week, is when uh, Joseph and Hiram are, have escaped from Liberty Jail and they're making their way back across Missouri to Illinois and they're just destitute and they're on the prairie. Then those two in a horse and they're just starving and they have no money. Okay, did you say he had a snake out there? He did. He had a snake out in the middle of the night. The apostates, yeah, apostates had taken over the temple. Uh, at one point, they were sitting in the temple with guns. Uh, there's a, yeah, there's a whole amazing history to this. Okay, now, so Joseph is is making his way across here, and like I say, he he arrives in March. The saints won't know where he is until he's about eight miles outside of Far West, when he'll be discovered. And then he rides the last eight miles in triumph. They're bringing him in. The jo you know, Joseph is finally, the prophet's finally come uh, to far west. But other than that, kind of on his own. Uh, now, setting up what we're going to talk about, imagine his emotional state by the time he gets to far west. All of the glories of Kirtland and all of that, and then we get the Safety Society fall, and then this two-month experience, yeah. Yes. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. He'll do that in Nauvoo. But he doesn't. And in Kirtland, he's on his way there. Still part of the first presidency. Hiram Smith, Frederick G. Williams will apostatize in Kirtland, and so they will add. Uh, they will add Hiram because Oliver Cowdery, they're trying, he's, he's mainly in Missouri. Okay? Now, the, one other element here. Question? Well, I was just commenting that kind of how my life goes. Have these really big highs. Yes. Really, really hard lows. Yeah, and, and you're about to see a really hard low. That, that, that's why this becomes 
part of germane to why he's going to get the revelations that he's going to get. Okay? Now, I have, an, I have an additional advantage here in the fact that um, there is another group. Uh, you can see uh, Lake Erie right there. Um, my, uh, my pioneer ancestry is now part of this. The, the Hinckley's were, uh, were converted by uh, Johnny Page, who was a member of the uh, Quorum of the Twelve, and, he, and it, was, it was part of that journey, and I've mentioned this before, where he was on his way after the dedication of the temple. Uh, he was given a mission to Upper Canada. Joseph said, go on up there. He then sees Johnny Page. A few weeks later, still wandering around Kirtland. How come you haven't left yet? I don't have a coat. Joseph takes off his coat. Now you do go. So he will go up there and he will meet the Hinkleys and the Judds in, in Upper Canada, just south of Toronto. Yeah. Are you related? Yeah. And, that, and, that, and this is where this comes from. Okay. Sorry. I just so, so, so who's going to come down from here is his... Uh, who would be President Hinckley's uh, great-grandfather, Arza Judd, and his grandson, Arza Hinckley, who's with them, and their, and his little brother, Ira Hinckley, is, is still, in, still in Upper Canada. That's President Hinckley's grandfather. Okay? The, the, again, why this is important is I have, have Arza's journal. So it gives us some perspective of what's happening as part of this process. Now you get this large group of saints coming out of Canada. They, spent, they cross Lake Erie in the winter, coming across the ice. They will camp on the other side of Lake Erie. You can see where, right where the red line starts. On the other side, uh, they will arrive in mass about... Uh, about 200 saints arrived in Kirtland in May of 1838. Joseph has already gone. The migration has begun. Uh, they will then combine with uh, what is called the, uh, the Kirtland Camp. And this will be uh, somewhere north of 600 saints that will begin the journey uh, in July of 1838. And they will begin to make their way through Ohio, Indiana, Illinois to get to Missouri. Massive wagon train of Mormons coming out of Kirkland on their way to Missouri. Okay. Now, only about 250 will actually arrive in Missouri because some are going to stay in places like Springfield, Illinois uh, along, along the way. Uh, they actually, well, they stayed until the Saints came back to Illinois to Nauvoo, and then a lot of them came from Springfield, and they went up to Nauvoo and, and joined because there was a large group of them there. And uh, I won't take time to go into it, but ours' journey is, is fascinating when he talks about as a 10 year old boy making their way across there, and they, and they learned from Kirtland or from the uh, Zion's camp experience not to say who they were and the people that would dog the camp trying to figure out. And there was a belief, and it's actually, and why this is important, now word begins to filter into Missouri that there is an army of Mormons coming and they're making their way across in mass to kind of begin to drive them out. 
So that adds to the tensions actually in there. Uh, this group, this band uh, of uh, the Kirtland camp will arrive they will they will land in DeWitt uh, in about October 2nd of 1838 while it's under siege the settlers have already risen up uh, they are gathering on, on DeWitt um, and, and you, here comes hundreds and hundreds of Mormons pouring into this right at the moment and they're right in the middle of that siege uh, the siege is only broken uh, when, Joseph, when Joseph will come from far west and broker a settlement in DeWitt uh, it's the first time that uh, my pioneer Arza saw the prophet Joseph Smith who's brokering this peace uh, and, and the saints will leave DeWitt in mass to go to far west. That will also embolden the settlers to say we've driven out of DeWitt, we can do the same thing in far west. Because Joseph does not want to fight. Were all these stops, were they in Revelation that Papa received? Or did he... The stop like in DeWitt? Yeah, a lot of these places that the settlements that they were setting up, in fact, we're about to, Joseph, or, uh, the Lord in Revelation will call Far West a sacred place. And they're going to lay, they're going to lay the cornerstones of the temple. They're going to plan for this next year to actually lay the foundation. They're ready to go. But again, like in Jackson County, the saints will shoot themselves in the foot and they will lose their inheritance. The Lord doesn't like vigilantes. Uh, so, so anyway, so now they're going to pour out of DeWitt. And now the gathering really kind of begins in far west as it, as it constricts. I want to quote you uh, from uh, uh, Richard Bushman, uh, Rough Stone Rolling. Here's what he says about this period of time, particularly from the summer of 1838 to the time that he is incarcerated in, in Liberty Jail. As if bore down by troubles during the summer of 1838, Joseph mysteriously recedes in the records. Sidney Rigdon preached the sermons. George Robinson's minutes credited the presidency of the church. Judging from the records, Joseph was a customarily passive, leaving a power vacuum for Sidney Rigdon, Samson Avard, uh, Lyman White to fill. Little direct evidence remains of Joseph's thoughts and feelings. Little he did went on the record. Now, with what you want know, with now what you know, what would you say was happening? Why is Joseph disappeared? I, as, as a psychotherapist, I, I think Joseph went into a depressive Because they, they will have descriptions of, we hear that two Mormons were killed up by Gallatin. Uh, George Robinson 
uh, will put together, or George Hinkle, one of them, will put together a, uh, uh, a posse. We're going to ride in mass to go up there and find out there. Joseph's riding in the group, but he's not a leader. He's just kind of one of the group. And he's just silently part of that. And you don't hear him making any speeches. He just disappears for about four or five minutes. And I think the 60 days on the, on the planes, he's watching everything fall apart. And all of, the, all of the circumstances and everything begins to speed up with the mobsters and all of that. It, it takes on a life of its own. And he's just watching this thing, and he's powerless to control anything that's going on. You know, so I would remember that he wouldn't consider his closest brothers were against him. And, and in the process of that, the people that he loved and cared about the most were writing affidavits against him. In other words, it just took off, the whole thing took off, and it was out of his control. I think this had to be uh, right up with liberty. This is the worst nine months of Joseph's entire life. From the summer of 1838 through March of 1839 when they escaped from Liberty Jail. This is the lowest of the low. But also keep in mind here, and I've said this before, the Joseph that emerges from Liberty is not the Joseph that walked into Liberty. The Joseph that will come out of Liberty is, uh, is a powerful, charismatic, charismatic, uh, gifted uh, speaker with power and authority unlike anything that part and partly cracks the one that's telling us this. He hears it he hears it preach in Philadelphia uh, after liberty and he'll go, I've never heard Joseph preach like this. This is a different this is like a different guy and he mesmerized thousands of people that were listening. Jo and so the Joseph of Nauvoo is not the Joseph of but I think there was a depressive time here where just the weight of everything, I, I think just depressing time. Because he's having to 
provide for his family because the church, because the leadership there won't support him, and then the and then the rest of the saints drive that leadership out, and they're the ones that will sign the extermination. Get a big dose of history? How are we doing? Swimming? Okay. I just so critical that you understand this period of time. Oh, absolutely. So would you consider this Gethsemane? Especially you watch all of this and then leading into liberty. That's why and liberty was the lowest of the low because he had this, these months of experience watching everything spin out of control on him. Uh, and then in, in that absolute, that's why what now come, what we're going to see in the next couple of weeks in section 121 is magnificent. And it comes to a prophet at his lowest moment. Um, okay. Now that said, let's uh, let's pop ahead over to section one fifteen. Because this is, if you look at the look at the date, April twenty sixth. This is one of those uh, this is one of those two revelations that will come before. July 8th, we get this real dearth of revelations as all of this is spinning out of control. Verily thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Joseph Smith, Sidney Rigdon, Hiram Smith. See, they're your counselors. Uh, now, he's going to say, we're, we're, going, we're going to begin to gather... Verse 4, he reiterates, For thus shall my church be called in the last days, even the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You're going to be a, uh, Arise and shine forth that thy light may be a standard for the nations. Picture the, the, the way that the saints were right at this moment. You're going to be a light to the nations. Wow. Wow. It's like when you got a handful of uh, the organization of the church, you got this little handful of saints, and it's like, this church will fill North and South America. <laughs> okay? And then, and then comes, comes this. And that the gathering together upon the land of Zion and upon her stakes may be for a defense, for a refuge from the storm, and from wrath when it shall be poured out without mixture upon the whole earth. Let's, let Far West be a holy and consecrated land unto me. And it shall be called most holy for the ground upon which thou standest is holy. Build a house and on and on. Okay, now. But I want, I want to back up a little bit. That the gathering together upon the land of Zion and upon her stakes... Uh, does it feel like we're in a storm now? Does it feel like we need a refuge from the storm now? And where are we supposed to gather? To the stakes. To the stakes. That's why the idea of the stake, stakes is a, is a tent. With stake, tent poles and everything. This is supposed to be a place that we hang out in the middle of a storm. Uh, I remember as a uh, having our... Uh, 
little family trip. We used to like to take our uh, family on vacation to uh, uh, Lake Washita from uh, uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas. Have you ever been to Lake Washita? Gorgeous, gorgeous place. One of the nice things about that is you can actually rent little boats and there's little islands that dot all over Lake Washita. You just get these little fishing boats and just go out and go have a little island to yourself and go hunt for crystals and it's just kind of ideal. This is where we used to take our kids when they were little. And uh, there was once that we were up there and it was kind of a cloudy day and, and I said, well, we're here, let's take advantage of it. Uh, and so we went ahead and rented a boat and, and we go out to this little island and we're having a, uh, a great time hunting for crystals. And I look up and I can see a storm coming across the lake. And you can see the, the driving rain and everything underneath it on the lake as the storm's moving towards us. And uh, we didn't have anywhere else. There was no cover. It's a small island. What are we going to do? Uh, and so the only thing that we had, because we might do a little swimming, is that I had a big beach blanket. And as it started to rain and it started to pour, we gathered our little family underneath, and we, and we all huddled underneath this beach blanket in a pouring rainstorm on this little island out in the middle of the lake. And, and, we're, just, and we're just being deluged. And, and, and we're getting soaked underneath this as we're all kind of shivering and huddling underneath this beach blanket. Um, as it turned out, we would, the rain would stop for a little bit. We actually hopped on the boat, started to get it. The motor dies. The rain starts to come down again. You know, the kids are, are you know, they're all crying. Oh, we're going to die. We're going to die. And started to Finally, the engine catches, and we're able to make it back. All drowned rats back to our tent um, on the shore. But, but I, I have this picture Number one, this is one of our, in our family lore, this is probably one of our, our favorite moments that the family all remembers, huddled under this blanket, gathered in here, and it's raining, and we're, we're underneath this beach blanket. Uh, and when I picture this, a refuge from the storm, that somehow, as a state, we're huddled underneath this, the deluge of kind of filth and, and sin and stuff is just pouring down around us. And are we huddled underneath our little beach blanket tent in our state meetings and all of that, okay? Um, have you ever looked at state conferences at? This is our chance to kind of be underneath the beach blanket while it's raining. It's our chance to kind of hear and be taught and be, and be safe and be warm and be protected. Or do we take that as the weekend to go, oh, this is our chance to get out of town. Nothing really good going on there anyway. Okay. President Uchtdorf. May I add a word of caution? Oh, you know what? Before I do that, let, I want to show you one other thing. Um, it's actually from the, um, from the Handbook of Instructions. I thought this was fascinating. When individuals receive the ordinances of baptism and confirmation, they become members of the church. The church supports them and their families by serving as a refuge from the storm of worldly influences and wickedness. DNC 115. 
The church provides opportunities for service, blessing, and personal growth. The programs and activities of the church support and strengthen individuals and families. Why would the handbook of instructions tie these two together? What is there about a ward when we start talking about service, blessing, and personal growth that provides the refuge from the storm? Because he's, he's not just saying saints, now he's talking about, now the handbook's talking about wards. In what way does the ward serve the refuge? Very nice, very nice. We, we edify and strengthen each other on an individual basis. And how, and how does that edify and strengthening service a refuge? Home teaching and the living teaching, they let them learn, they share with one another testimonies. Sure. And that strengthens us personally. Okay. We had, we had an, uh, one of our discussions in High Priest Forum yesterday was, we need a car. We've got, we've got a member that needs a car. Anybody got a car? Uh, let us know because we're trying to track down uh, a, a cheap old car for somebody. Okay. We'll do that. To investigate. Fast offerings. In other words, we're going to, part of this refuge is we take care of one another. And you get this sense, again, as, as, the, as the storm clouds started to gather in Missouri, what, what did they do? They began to gather. They started to gather closer and closer into far west. One of, the, one of the sad moments that we have, of course, is that there was one group in Missouri that, that refused to gather, unfortunately, and this was Hans Mill. Hans Mill. And, and Hans Mill, fascinatingly enough, Hans Mill was actually settled by nine families who had come from Kirkland Camp, who did not stay with the group as they were instructed to do. This was too big a group, we're moving too slow, we're anxious to get there. And, and these nine families pulled and went up there and settled on them. And, and then most of them were moved. All right, so that said, listen to President Uchtdorf. Because there's another side to this. May I add a word of caution to those of us who live in large wards and states. We have to be careful that the center of our testimony is not located in the social dimension of the church community or the wonderful activities, programs, and organizations of our wards and states. All of these things are important and valuable to have, but they are not enough. Even friendship is not enough. We recognize that we are living in a time of turmoil, disaster, and war. We and many others feel strongly, we and many others, the brethren, feel strongly the great need for a defense and a refuge from the storm and from wrath. What's he saying? Because yeah, we, on one level, we're saying our our war organization, the sociality, the friendship is that refuge. But he's saying that's not enough. What else? Is, what else of a refuge is there within 
the wards and stakes that provide shelter for the storm. And why? And so, if you've got your own personal testimony, why is it that you would have to then gather with other saints to strengthen that? Yeah. Yeah, 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 kind of the angels that show up, sometimes you see them, sometimes you don't, but are pushing the hand card. Yeah. I kind of like it's like the gym, you know, look at the gym. You know, that, that's funny, I see that. Because I'm, I'm in the gym in the mornings, you know, and it is funny, you'll kind of see, uh, uh, there is a time in the gym, and, and our joke among us is, is that this is when the beautiful people show up, you know, at some point, and, and they look really good, and they're kind of walking around, and, and they're looking in the mirror and everything, and everybody else is sweating and working, and they're just kind of looking around, and they might kind of go, put it down, yeah. <laughs> And they're probably the ones that later on will say, the gym's doing nothing for me. <laughs> they seem to keep gaining weight. You know, I've gone to the gym, nothing's happening. I just don't get why it is. Uh, I guess I'm just guessing, you know. And, but you, you watch them and they're just not, they're there. And they're surrounded by great equipment that could improve their lives drastically, but they won't participate. So I, I love that. I love it. That's really true. And do we sometimes see people at church doing that? I'm here, but I'm not. I'm sort of not here. But I was here. I could say I was here, but I didn't jump in with both feet. I didn't participate. I wasn't part of. Well, my husband heard a comment that they didn't go to Sunday school because they didn't get anything out. They got more out of setting up the chair for the gym and they did Sunday school. And there really are there's a lot of intelligent people out there that study gospel and stuff like that. But I think that what they're missing is that they may have something to offer. Yeah. Now, I also think there's a particular thing, though, when he talks about, uh, listen to what he says. We have to be careful that the center of our testimony is not located in the social dimensions of the church. How many people are, are converted to the sociality in the church, the friendships of the church, and that works until somebody offends them? And, and, and now it's, it's me, okay? Yes. Because of the testimony, but partly because of the warmth of the saints. 
and the sociality brings them in. And the sociality, will, and for a lot of reasons, what holds us here. But somewhere in this process, there has to be the conversion that says, I, I, the, the testimony burns within, not just the sociality. That's, that's a careful transition. I think that, I don't want to put anybody here, but I think that we're slothful in the day. I mean, you compare it to those days, they didn't have horses. They were walking how many miles? Oh, yeah. We can't even walk to the first and 11 a day. Well, hold, hold, on, hold on to the idea of sacrifice. We'll go right there in just a second. Yes. But think how many times people have come, you've moved into a new ward, or you've been visiting another ward on vacation or something like that, and you walk out of there going, that was so cold. Nobody said anything. I sat all by myself. Okay, and, and that becomes important to us. That's part of this piece. Okay? Um, I wondered about that as far as, you know, you want to draw other members of your church. You know, obviously we don't have a lot of activities, and we don't focus on doing a lot and of things. And our sacrament meetings aren't the most pizzazzy sometimes. Well, Yeah. We and we have a particular danger with that in our youth programs. We can get so caught up in the activities and the glitz, and 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 neglect the fact that what will keep them in the church years from now is a testimony, not because of the really really good manners they do. Okay. Who's another? Yeah. I went to the Cambridge Yeah. And I've been to New York's churches all over the United States. We have not even gotten on the car to say we have people. It's not just say hello, but told us what their names were, asked what our names were, what yeah. we got into the building, we sat in our seats. Every person in that chapel has come and spoke to us. Yeah. We have this problem in our boards in the United States that we don't do that. If you've never seen somebody, maybe a I mean, I've, I've not been greeted in many working states. I can sit there for the entire yeah. three-hour block and not be a person Those are Those are really good people. So this little branch, I mean, there probably were 50 people in that room. They had fantastic speakers, music, and it was just what you expect in one church to be. Yeah, I, I was a I was a bishop in that state. Just fantastic, fantastic people. Yeah. Well, in Hawaii, all the men came up and kissed me when I. <laughs> 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 okay. That's funny. Okay. Well, that well that said, so so let me. Um, oh gosh, we got a half hour. Okay. Um, now, let, let's move on to section uh, 117. This is one of the this is one of the few revelations that's given in July on July 8th. Now, I have to tell you that I was as I was reading through this, I kept reading through it, and I thought, 
oh, this is so familiar. What am I reading and where's the connection? And it took me most of the week before I finally figured out where the connection was. Uh, so before we really take a look at 117, I want, uh, and, and you can actually turn to it if you want, but I've got it linked. I want you to turn over to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 is just like one of the coolest. If you'll just read it carefully. And remember that Isaiah is poetry. It was meant to be poetry. It's not prose. If you'll see it as poetry and the pictures that it paints, Isaiah becomes more like reading Shakespeare. Okay? Listen to what he says. This is the Lord talking about uh, as, the, as the Israelites were kind of being the children of Israel and they're being squirrely. And here's, here's Isaiah. And I listen to the word picture he paints. Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket and are counted as a small dust in the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. When you think about the balance, and he's going to use this a couple of times, Think about a balance that's sitting there that you weigh things on. And he's going to say, uh, the nations of the earth are like a little drop on one side of the scales. And it just sits there. And then he's going to say, and, and the isles of the sea are a very small thing. So picture God standing there, and he's got the scales, and he's going to take all the nations of the earth and he kind of puts them on the scale. He sees how to do Okay? And then... Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood the foundations of the earth? He, it is he that sitteth on the circle of the earth. Remember the pictures that we see of, of the earth from space? And you see the curve of the earth. Can't you picture him? It's almost like he's sitting on the curve of the earth. It's like he's sitting on the earth and his feet are dangling over the side. He's just sitting on the curve of the earth and he's looking at the earth. And the inhabitants thereof are of it are his grasshoppers. So no matter how great or small you are, here's these little grasshoppers down there, and he's just sitting watching as he's sitting on the curve of the earth. Okay? And, and that he that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain. So here's the earth, and I think I'll put the Milky Way right here. Yeah, that looks really good. And spreadeth out as a tent to dwell in. I'll put the rest of the stars right. Yeah, that looks really good. Okay, and I've got that, and so I'm. And you just get this great God, who, as as uh, Brother Michael Wilcox will say, and this is the same God that we get to pray to every day. This magnificent being who sits on the curve of the earth, and everything that's happening underneath there is like this little, and and, and the, the nations are like a little drop sitting on the unmeasured scale. And, and we can kneel down every morning and talk to him. And in fact, he wants us to talk to him and call him our father. This magnificent being that brings princes to nothing. 
Hast thou not heard or seen the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There's no, there's no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fail. But, and then this one we know. Yeah. But though they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings. Because this great God who holds all of this in that balance is the same one that will, can hold you up. This is who He is. You understand His beauty and His power. Okay? Now, kind of get that, get that sense? Now, and, and, and I realized as I was reading section 117... It's almost like Joseph is channeling Isaiah. Because there's a familiar spirit here in 117. Here's the Lord. Let them awake and come forth and not tarry, for I the Lord commanded it. Verse 4. Let them repent of their sins and all their covetous desires. What is it that they're coveting? Their property where? In Kirtland. We had to leave Kirtland. We're having to come here where there'll be a place for us in, in Missouri. It's kind of scary. We're, we're kind of wanderers now. How is this going to work? And here comes, so like I say, here comes, here comes the Lord's direction. Five, let the properties of Kirtland be turned out for debts. And then, and then here he comes. Verse 6. For have I, have I not the fowls of heaven and the fish of the sea and the beasts of the mountains? Have I not made the earth? Do not I hold the destiny of all the armies of the nations of the earth? And you just picture him. It's almost like you take World War II and all of the armies that were running around in these vast nations and he just holds it in his hand. Don't I hold them and their destiny? At any moment, he could say, no, you're not, you're not going to succeed. Don't I hold them in their hands? Therefore, will I not make solitary places to bud and to blossom and to bring forth in abundance, saying the Lord? It's my land. Can't I find a place for you to bud and blossom? I don't know if you, if you had that experience when you were first getting married or you're younger and you're wondering, where am I going to be? What's available out there for me? Is there a place for me to find a place? Or those times when things are falling apart and you're going, it's never going to be good again and nothing seems to go right. And he's saying, this same God that holds all the armies in his hand, I have a place for you to find a place. You may not know it yet, but I Trust me, I'm God. I sit on the edge of the earth and I watch. I watch the children, the inhabitants I trust. By the way, I love them. Dearly. I Yes. What an extension to step out of that. And what he's saying is, trust me. I know who you are. I have a place for you to bud and blossom. And it's bleak. And you're telling me 
Oh, as Kirtland Camp is marching across uh, Illinois, especially, they start running into Missourians, and they're going, "Where are you going?" Well, we're going to Missouri. Oh, they're going to blast you out. You know, they're looking to kill you. They're going to take you out. I wouldn't go. And they're just, and, and then they get into Missouri, and it's like mobs are waiting, and they just got attacked constantly all the way. Yeah, we need a few more. Is there not room enough on the mountains of Adam on Diamond, or on the plains of Oala Shinoff, the land where Adam dwelt, that you should covet that which is but the drop and neglect the more weighty matters? What did we just hear in, in Isaiah about the drop? It's insignificant. You're going to worry about the drop on this side of the scale, and all nations are like a drop, and you're going to neglect the weightier matters. It's a drop. I have land for you. I have a place for you. I have a plan for you. Don't worry. There's a place for you to bud and blossom. I have plenty of land for you in the mountains of Adam. And in the plains. So you can almost see on the scales. He's going to put, and here's the mountains, and he's going to put the Rocky Mountains and all that stuff. He's going to put on this scale, and I've got this beautiful plains that's sitting over here. And what you're going to do is neglect all of that and worry about your little farm that you left back, back in her. It's a drop compared to everything that I have. Okay, now, do, is this a particular problem even for us today, though? Do we sometimes get caught up in the drop and neglect the way you make? Soapbox side, okay? Alright, soapbox. Okay. I grow weary of, of, of talking to wives and kids who wait for the husband to come home and begin to attack them about how the house looks. And skip right over the kids that are anxious to see them after they've been gone. And all they're concerned about is whether or not the dishes are done in the house looks fine. And they're caught up in the, in the drop of whether our house is pristine 
and looks like it's been lived in, even though there are four kids living here, and skip the kids that want to be loved and cared for and everything, and they're more worried about whether there's some laundry sitting on the floor. I'm both. I've heard, I've heard both. I'm going to roll now. <laughs> Obsessive compulsive dads who must have a completely unlived in house, even though we have a family living here. And, our, and, so, and so everybody, and so I have wives saying, we are so glad when he goes on, on a trip. Because everything gets more peaceful because he's not going to be ragging on us because we happen to not have the dishes fast enough. And, he, and, he's, and he's looking at the drop and passing up the weightier thing of these kids who just are anxious to see it. about the way things have to look right now that I neglect the weightier matters of all of the other things that could be in my life. And, and I may be neglecting some scripture study because I'm so focused on the fact that nothing must ever be out of us. Yeah. Okay, I'm off my soul. That felt good. That was really cathartic. Much better. Thank you so much for listening. Something that I think kind of goes along with that was an experience that I had here in California. I didn't live there long enough to go through many earthquakes, but there was a morning that was a morning of state conference. We were practicing <coughs> in our building. We had two chapels. Uh, we were uh, practicing in one chapel, and um, we had an earthquake. Um, you know, the fire was getting ready for the um, meeting, and. Um, my friend immediately turned to me and said, it's okay, Eugene, it's just a five. And I, <laughs> sat there, five. I sat there and I watched the chandelier shaking. And what came to me so profoundly is the scripture, stand me in holy places. Yeah. Because I thought the Lord could take all this up in a second. Yeah. He wanted to. And, and it kind of goes along with this. What is most important and what is not? Because all of these physical things, as we have seen in so many instances, have been taken. Go away. Look at Elder Maxwell. Stubborn selfishness leads to leads otherwise good people to fight over herds, patches of land, and strippings of milk. All this results from what the Lord calls coveting the drop and neglecting the more weighty matters. Myopic selfishness magnifies a mess of pottage and makes thirty pieces of silver look like a treasure trove. I think sometimes we get caught up in our stuff and we miss the way we
Or, or for instance, what happens if we say, okay, it would be prudent for us to be able to put money away for missions and for retirement, but we want our stuff now. So we're going to worry about the drop of material stuff now and neglect some of that stuff in, in the future. I think that's a balance, but I think that's the question that we need to be asking. At what point, and I think the Lord will lead us, when are we focusing on the drop and when are we missing the mid-weightier matter? Good stuff. Okay, now um, let me let me in the uh, time remaining. I want to have one. Want to bring out one more important thing. How many of you recognize the name Oliver Granger? A couple of you. Most of you don't know Oliver Granger. Listen to what the Lord is saying in verse 12. Again I say unto you, I remember my servant, Oliver Granger. And verily, his name shall be had in sacred remembrance from generation to generation. And you guys don't know Oliver Granger? Yeah. Yeah. So even had a name, and they took it away. Okay. Now, a couple of things I need you to know about Oliver Granger. Number one, the, it's important that you look at the top of that. The uh, again, I say unto you, I remember Oliver Granger. You're not going to remember Oliver Granger. I hope you do after today. But the Lord says, I will remember him from generation to generation. <clears throat> so, in the, in the Lord's memory, what Oliver Granger did was of great importance to the Lord to the fact that he says, I remember him from generation to generation. Wow. Don't you want to know what Oliver Granger did? Well, then we should talk about it, shouldn't we? That's called the tease. Listen to this, verse 13. Therefore let him contend earnestly for the redemption of the first presidency of my church, saith the Lord. And when he falls, he shall rise again. And then this line. For his sacrifice shall be more sacred unto me than his increase. Sayeth the Lord. 15. Let no man despise my servant, Oliver Granger, but let the blessings of my people be on him forever and ever. Wow. What did Oliver Granger do? Oliver Granger went to Missouri with the rest of the saints. He was half blind. Oliver Granger was called by the Lord to go back to Kirtland to try and sell whatever properties they could in Kirtland. He was kind of the Lord's real estate agent. 
to try and resolve that, those issues. At a point when land was super speculated upon, it was too expensive, anti-Mormons were just kind of waiting there, and then they knew they were going to be able to get these properties for pennies on the dollar. Nobody's buying. And when he falls, Oliver was sent into an almost impossible situation and while he did the best he could, for the most part, if you just look merely at his increase, he was an abject failure. In that kind of environment, there was just no chance that anybody was going to go back and try and sell church property in Kirkland and expect to have enough money coming back to help get people's money back on their farms. Particularly the sale of the Kirkland Temple, which he was never able to sell. That's why it's still in the hands of the community Christ reorganized today, because Oliver Granger failed. So when he falls, he shall rise again. How's he going to do that? Because his, his sacrifice shall be more sacred unto me than his increase. Well, that doesn't seem like a monumental, earth-shattering kind of thing, does it? But in the Lord's mind, it's like, I'm sending you into an impossible situation and he went in and he did the best that he could. Sometimes with no expectation that it was going to work. Now, let me ask, let me ask you, are we sometimes in the church asked to walk into an impossible situation? You ever been asked to cr cover a primary class where every kid in the class is ADD or autistic? <laughs> and you walk away week after week going, nothing was heard. Nothing was taught. How about seminary? You teach seminary in March. At the, at, at the end of a school year. And they're doing home or during finals when they're doing homework till midnight one o'clock and they're they're scattering in. I used to I used to teach uh, Cecily Weatherford, I would go by and pick up her kids for seminary in the morning and there were weeks that I never saw them with their eyes open. <laughs> Some of you were watching uh, the Walking Dead, the zombie apocalypse, and that's what it looked like. Pull up in front of the house and the zombies would like walk out of the <laughs> Out of the house, get into the car, get to the church, the zombies walk in, the zombies walk in, oh. I think for a lot of kids, there are weeks, if, if, depending on the, the requirements of sports seminary, is there's no increase. And yet the Lord is saying to you, your sacrifice at some moments will be more sacred than your increase.
Placing dandelions in the yellow. That's what he called it. And he talks about how sometimes we just do the best we can. And yes. it's not probably good enough in our eyes. Yes. But our Heavenly Father knows that eventually we'll be able to place a rose at the altar. But for now, because the dandelion is the best we can do, He receives it with gladness, just as in the earth He does. Brothers and sisters, this church is filled with all of our grandchildren. It really is. I have a number of all of the rangers here. Where you have been put in situations or time where nothing is growing. And nothing is happening. And, and, it just, and there's no increase. And, and you get discouraged and down. And, and at the same time, the, the when you get ground, I want you to think about that, that vision of, of God sitting on the curve of the earth. And he just kind of dangling his feet over there. And he's watching us. Oh, there, there's armies. And he holds those armies in the palm of his hand. And he says, there is a place for you to bloom and to grow. And it's in the mountains of Adam and Diamond over here. And that day is coming. But for right now, your sacrifice is far more important to me. And it's far more sacred to me than your increase. I just needed your willingness. And I know you go home every Sunday after particular classes and stuff like that, it's like nothing is getting, I'm wasting my time. I don't get as a young mother to sit through an entire sacrament meeting for years because my kids are always screaming, i got to take them out. Why am I doing that? Because you're sacrificing. Well, the increase comes easily. I think we lose sight Yeah. Yeah. When you're in the middle of that sacrifice, though, you don't get it. It's just, it can be so overwhelming and it can be so discouraging. And, and yet this God, who was watching all of that, who can do everything he does, has specifically called you to do something and you're going to run your head right up against the wall. And he said, I don't I prepared a place for you. The Lord's in charge. He knows what he's doing. And so my, my prayer today is for all of the Oliver Grangers here, that the Lord knows you. And he knows what you're doing. And he will sanctify our follies as well as our sacrifices. And make, make them do promise you. And I need that with you in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, to close our class this morning with great for the lessons as we heard this we pray that we might put this in our lives. We might study the scriptures. We might seek the We're grateful for the Spirit which is here. We pray that the portion of that Spirit might remain with us throughout this period. We might truly walk with you. We might be prompted to say the right things. We are grateful for the gospel in our lives. As we dismiss this day, we pray that thy spirit will continue with us to lead us and guide us in all that we do and say. Watch over us as we say we travel around and we look at his foundations. And these things will come in prayer in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.